We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, my name is Bethany Lee. Welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. This is episode number two. Boyd Martin is a U.S. eventer that is ranked 15th in the world currently. No big deal. He has so many accolades, including Cronkle the Horse 2010 Eventing Horseman of the Year. But what is even more impressive is his life story. I mean, he has seriously been through it all. And the way that he has turned out, despite of everything, is incredible. So if you are looking for a lesson in overcoming adversity, you're in the right place. Hi, Boyd. <laughs> hey, how are you, Bethany? Sorry, you went you went blank for a moment. Oh, yeah, no problem. How's it going? Um, I'm very good, very good. Good. Um, awesome. Well, I'm going to get right to it. I mean, you are currently at the top of the rankings as an eventing athlete. How did you even start riding? Oh, uh, good question. Uh, I grew up in Australia, and um, uh, sport's a big, big, big deal in Australia, and uh, I grew up in a pretty sporting family um and i grew up sort of on the outskirts of sydney and uh you know jumped off the school bus my parents owned uh, three acres and uh, had a couple of ponies in the backyard and one of the sports that we got into was pony club and um you know just uh fell in love with horses and uh was a terrible student miserable uh useless <laughs> and uh basically started eventing through pony club and then um i finished high school and, and when i was 17 uh, i got shipped off the day after i finished high school actually to become a working pupil for a uh, trainer called heath ryan who was uh he's a legend and uh, that was a, a huge turning point in my life um, so was that was that the at that point did you kind of realize you wanted to make this into a career I think so. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I didn't have that many options to be honest. I, uh, I, uh, I couldn't sit still. There'd be no way I could sit in a chair for a job. And uh, obviously, I loved, loved horses, loved animals. And um, you know, it was probably a year or two into my uh, being a working pupil that I sort of started realizing that this, this could be not only a passion but also a career. And I suppose the good thing with horses is, unlike different sports, other Olympic sports or professional sports, is, you know, your career can potentially go keep riding if you look after yourself till you're 60 years old. And, you know, other other professional sports, I'd be I'd be retired now. I'm 39 and uh, I'd be finished up. So, um, you know, I'm very, very lucky that I sort of almost fell into this industry and, um you know, it's been hard work and a grind, but I still love it, and uh, and I've managed to figure out how to make a, make a buck out of it too. So, yeah. Um. So before, so when you were young, to the time that you started working as a working student, what was that transition like for your riding and just your work ethic? Like, what what kind of life change what went on? Well, I mean, I gotta say, I think you know, looking at a lot of kids that I help out is 
your family life or your how, how you're brought up is incredibly important to your attitude and your work ethic and um, things like that. Now, that's not to say I've got a couple of kids that work for me but that have come from a terrible family background that are awesome. But the majority of our people that I think are successful, of their parents have really shaped them up and they've learnt to work and they've learnt to be competitive. And So for me, now I'm speaking a little bit, I'm a bit unusual. Both my mum and dad were Olympians. So uh, I suppose um, in a <laughs> family life competition and working and, uh, dry, you know, that's this driven sort of, feeling was probably a bit more in our household more so than other other families so the transition from from you know I was very competitive all the way through school and in all sports rugby cricket you know football whatever and um, you know so when I decided to to become a working pupil and become you know potentially a professional rider the transition was quite easy and Unlike other parents, my parents sort of egged me on and thought it was a good idea and go for it. So, uh, <laughs> which is which is pretty awesome. You know, a lot of the kids here in the America in the United States, the parents roll their eyes when the, when they tell mum and dad that they want to take on horses for a career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, um, you were you were still in Australia at this point in time. Yeah. So okay. I, I basically. You know, I did sort of ten years, ten years in Australia, from um, you know, from um, being a kid, a working pupil at the age of seventeen, and then sort of did that for a couple of years, and then I started sort of working for myself, and you know, buying cheap racehorses and turning them over, and you know, I couldn't quite support myself just with horses, so I sort of had some jobs on the side. I was a telemarketer at one point in the mornings and then there was a another a point where I was picking grapes in a vineyard you mm. know and trying to you know trying to do a little bit on the side to keep me going but then you know I got better and better at the horses and then that sort of turned into a full-on career and um, started up a little business which turned quickly turned into a bigger business in, in um, Australia and started you know riding at the top level in Australia and around the three stars and four stars in Australia and New Zealand and till I was about 20, 27 or 28 and sort of had this feeling that there was more more to the world than, than Australia and uh, got to America basically on a cargo plane with a horse. Um, I came oh. over to compete at um, Kentucky Four Star three-day event in 2006 and once I got here I... Uh, I, uh, I was blown away by the country and and knew that right then and there, this was for me. How tough was that decision to actually bite the bullet, take your horse with you and move that, have that drastic of a move? It was, um, it was a very big decision because if you could imagine, like I was in Australia and, um, you know, I was very successful in Australian standards. Like I'd won a four-star three-day event. I had a, a business humming along. I probably had 25 horses in training. I, you know, had a, like I could have stayed in Australia and done pretty well for myself. And sure. so to walk away from all that and then come to a new country and I honestly didn't know one person here. Wow. You got to completely restart, you know, and I, 
I, I, I was very lucky um, that I started. I got a job with Philip Dutton for a couple of years as soon as I got here. So, you know, I, I almost, you know, did the working people thing all over again. So it was a, it was a big decision. But when it's, when you're in a new place, there's, um, you know, there's a bit of uh, excitement and novelty and, uh, and also you've, in a weird kind of way, it's, you've got no choice but to make it work or make it happen. Like there's no plan B. You've, you've sold everything in Australia yeah. and uh, got rid of everything and, and moved to a new country. And um, there's no family barbecues or, right. or anything to prop you up if it doesn't, doesn't work out. And uh, it was, uh, you know, I'm uh, in a weird kind of way, it's a, it's a good feeling not having any option but to make it work. Right. And um, at this point, were you and Silva married? Yeah, so we got married. Okay. I went to Kentucky on the cargo plane and um, rang up Silva in Australia and said, we should move here. So we quickly got married <laughs> in Australia and uh, we moved to America three days after our wedding. Wow. And, uh, it was pretty funny, actually. Like, um, we got married and... Uh, I moved to America and Silva was supposed to follow me the next day and then they wouldn't let her out of Australia because she didn't have a, a visa for America. Oh, wow. So we got married and then I didn't see her for four months because she she had to oh, apply for her visa to come to America and what, you have to be in the country that you applied for it in. So mm, poor, wow, poor so much for our honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. The beginning of our marriage, we never really argued that much because we never saw each other. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that, yeah, and that's crazy. I mean, she she's also a dressage rider. Um, uh-huh. So how how does that work with your marriage? Obviously, you guys are both in Pennsylvania now. Is mm-hmm. is it challenging to have a rider as a spouse? Is it what what's the best part? Uh, I mean, often I've seen two riders who get married be a disaster, you know, because they're both chasing their dream and, you know, they, you've got to be a little bit selfish. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, the lucky thing for us is we're in a, a different sport. Um, she's in pure dressage and I'm in eventing. So there's not this rivalry of I beat you this weekend and you beat me or sure. you stole my owner and how come you got the better horse and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I suppose the one thing we did do is we've got a farm and we kept everything very, very separate. So um, on our farm, you know, you come up the driveway and on the left-hand side of the driveway is um, the dressage horses and that's her barn, her stables, her own staff, um, and it's very, very separate to the other side of the driveway, which is the eventing side of things, which is all of my horses and my staff, and, you know, we have nothing to do with each other's business. Um, And the only time we bump into each other is in the dressage ring, I suppose, or, or, you know, whenever we're schooling horses, then we interact a bit, but there's no... Like I wouldn't have anything to do with her horses or her staff and, and vice versa. And I think that's actually uh, worked out pretty well. I mean, we still argue a fair bit, um, but, uh, <laughs> um, but our businesses are completely separate. Sure. Do you guys do a lot of dressage riding together? Yeah, obviously it's a huge advantage for me. Yeah. Um, 
uh, having pure dressage horses working in the ring every day and, um, you know, Silver being able to school some of my top horses and, um, you know, we help each other that way. Like if they've ever got a wild young dressage horse that's bucking, you know, we take care of that. And then if mm-hmm. we've got a horse that <laughs> can't figure out how to teach a flying change on, she right. helps us out with that. So it's it's very, it's a good it's a good partnership. You know, we're very, yeah. very lucky that we sort of can help each other out when, uh, when needed. Yeah, that's a pretty good setup for sure. Um, speaking of horses, um, I'd love to talk about Neville a little bit because um, I feel like anyone who knows any little bit about you also knows about Neville. So how sure. did that, how did that partnership even come to be? Oh, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, old Neville, he's still with us actually. He, uh, he gets worked every day. Oh, awesome. um, the, the working students that uh, work for me do a bit of flat work or a bit of jumping on him each day. Um, uh, you know, he's sort of probably one of the last things that's tied me to Australia um, on this farm still, you know. Uh, so anyway, I bought him as a three-year-old off the track and uh, 800 bucks. It was a good wow. good deal in hindsight, <laughs> but at the time I thought it was, uh, I thought I might have got done over. And oh, wow. uh, I mean, he's... To be honest, he's been a, a difficult horse over the years, um, but he, uh, he in what way? Oh, he's just a he's just a wild man. To be honest, he um, yeah. he uh, he's a hot, fiery thoroughbred. Uh, not so much now, but he's still he's still got a bit of um, a bit of fire in him. Uh, but you know, throughout his career, like he uh, he uh, definitely uh, sort of had his own way of doing things and. Um, you know, he's been a, a wonderful horse and a wonderful friend over the years just because we sort of got started at the beginning of my career when I was flipping, you know, cheap racehorses and trying to resell them. And then, you know, I got stuck with Neville because I couldn't sell him again. And then he <laughs> started shaping up and doing really well at the, uh, the two-star and three-star level and then flew him to America. And uh, and then I changed my nationality. And... Um, and he took Neville to the uh, 2010 WEG at uh, Kentucky. And it was sort of my first first time riding for the United States. So it was pretty cool. What made you decide to change your nationality? Oh, it was a tough decision, to be honest. Like it's uh, like any young kid, they always have dreams and aspirations of representing their own country. Mm-hmm. And you grow up, you know, yeah, idolizing your the country's best riders or best best athletes and my mum my mum funny enough is American so mm. I was born with a dual passport and okay. um so I was an American citizen even when I lived in Australia and I suppose I got to America and the reality is that I was never going to go back to Australia to do horses ever again okay. and this this is my home and this is my country now and um it just it just made sense to represent this country or try to represent this country if you know this is the country that's giving um, me the career and you know we're taking advantage of their system you know and um, making money off fellow Americans and stuff it, it only made sense trying to represent um, this country sure sure so so at this point in time you're working with Neville he's borderline a waste of $800 and something <laughs> all of a sudden clicks where he's really working out for you. Was that, was that kind of an overnight situation that all of a sudden something just worked or was that a pretty long process? 
No, I mean, with all horses, there's no magic out there. There's no, you know, sudden, you know, flash of light that changes them. But, I mean, I think that the one thing with horses is is every day you're just chipping along, trying to make them a little bit better right. and a little bit better. And, um, you know, with eventing, the, the, uh, if you think about it, like the higher the levels you go up, the more important is speed and endurance and courage and, and uh, in the in the sport, if you know what I mean, like the jumps get bigger, the distances get longer, and the speeds get faster. So, the things that made Neville impossible as a young horse, you know, all of a sudden as we climbed up the ranks, it, you know, when all the big fat show ponies, shiny show ponies, were uh, <laughs> huffing and puffing. This uh, this thoroughbred chestnut from Australia was uh, he was just warming up, and I yeah. think that was obviously the his strongest point. And uh, you know, and I think we also you know started to bond and create a partnership, which with any horses is is incredibly important, and yeah. uh, that takes time too. And there's no replacement for that. For sure. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about 2011 because I know that it was a big year of adversity for you. I mean, there was the the barn fire. Um, was that in the beginning of the year? It was. I'll tell you exactly when it was. It was the the day after Memorial Day. So it was okay. the um, the Monday night after the Memorial Day weekend. Okay. Um, so, what what was that What was that night like for you? Oh, I haven't thought about it for a while, to be honest. It was, um, you know, it was a horrible, Sorry. horrible. <laughs> no, it's all right. I mean, it's been well talked about. It's a, you know, it was a horrible, horrible experience. And, um, and uh, you know, in a weird kind of way, it was a, you know, a, a definitely a defining moment for me is, mm-hmm. is, you know, just as you finally think you're getting ahead, you know, coming to a, new country we've been here for three or four years and just as we're gathering up some good horses and right. bought all of our equipment and and uh you know everything was just starting to look like we're coming good and then something like that happens it's just uh you know it can really and uh, just knock the wind out of you you know and mm-hmm. and also you know i think sometimes when something terrible like that happens in a person's life they sort of half give up or quit without even telling anyone, you know, like they mm-hmm. um, just sort of say, oh, this is all too hard. But right. I mean, I was lucky. I mean, it was a, I mean, it was just a, a horrible thing to go through. We had uh, six horses die and all of our equipment and stuff um, get d- destroyed. And, um, the, you know, and we were getting sued like for millions left, right and center from the, wow from all the insurance companies and then you know so that we had we didn't have much you know we were new to the country so our in our personal insurance was terrible you know mm-hmm. because of the when you're new you don't get much of a you know, cre- um, credit sort of thing sure but i mean the, the yeah you know i remember the morning i didn't sleep that night in the morning after it all i sat on the on my uh sat on my porch and had a cup of coffee and said, right, I either go home and disappear or you can stand up and fight fight through this. And uh, we were so lucky that, um, you know, just everyone helped out. We had fundraisers, um, the, you know, 
luckily for us, it took two years, but the the cause of the fire eventually got proven in court that um, it was nothing to do with anything wrongdoing by us. Mm. It was just a freak accident. Wow. And um, so all the lawsuits or um, all the money, you know, I think there was $4 million worth of uh, money that had to get paid out. That was no longer on our neck. And, um, you know, it's just, it was a, you know, what doesn't kill you made us stronger in, in that, in that particular scenario. So it was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'd never wish for it to happen to anyone, but it was, you know, looking back, you, you wonder if it sort of just made you a little bit tougher for anything that you were going to face, uh, mm-hmm. in your life coming up ahead. And if that didn't, didn't knock you down, then, then basically nothing will. Yeah. And I mean, from what I've read and from what I've seen um, of you talking about this night, I mean, it could be it, it could be like a movie. I mean, going from from that terrible night, I mean, you pulling Neville out of the of the barn. I mean, he had been in there for what, like 45 minutes? Yeah. I mean, kind was, of a guess. Yeah, it was just uh, I mean, it was uh, thinking back on it now, it was just surreal. You know, the whole building's on fire and you know, I got in a fight with the the fire chief, and then ran in there, and uh, and then I didn't even know it. I was trying to get the horses out of there, and I only had a t-shirt and shorts on. And wow. It was getting burnt all over. It was, yeah. it was miserable, and uh, I mean, lucky it was well, it was well worth doing though. Like it was, right. uh, uh, who dares wins, as they say. Um, I mean, it could have been a stupidest decision of my life, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it was worth having a crack and. Uh, lucky we pulled a, a couple of horses out that, that would have been dead so um so that was you know that not to get too dramatic that was worth worth doing and um and uh just uh you know just had to sort of restart everything again yeah um so you go from that to what was it about three months later you're showing at one of the toughest events in the world um, yeah. on Neville, who's been, had, you know, severe lung injury and, and that whole trauma of being in the fire. How did that, how'd you even pull that off? Uh, I don't know, like, it, it, you know, looking back on it, it seems like this incredible miracle and that, but, you know, it was sort of, I had him pretty fit before that. And right. like he had, um, you know, when you scoped him, he had burns on the inside of his uh, throat and mm. uh, in his lungs and stuff but again you know with horses you stay by day and we were lucky we were we got free usage of this hyperbaric chamber which I think was remarkable and wow. you know when you're training a horse you often just get this feeling that they're they're, they're good to go and mm-hmm. uh, you know I'd been working very hard to get to that event and um, you know, he'd already done a wig and a couple of four stars already in Kentucky and that. So you knew he was capable of it. And it sure. was just a matter of, of was he going to be fit enough in time, which, you know, you can always feel as a rider, you know, sort of, and I had to put the work in very quickly. And, um, you know, he's just a legend horse too, you know, like he, he, um, just, uh, had, had this, this amazing ability that, even if he wasn't quite fit enough or, if, you know, when I felt he was, um, or, you know, even if he started suffering a bit, you knew he was a fighter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, lucky for us, he, he made the time around Burley, which is very, very hard to do. And he, 
came out and show jump well the next day and uh yeah it was it could have backfired though <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> wow i mean that's like amazing if that, if that if that didn't work out i'd be the most evil person in the horse world you know? like, <laughs> yep. it goes to show like especially in this day and age with social media and Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. Yeah, it was a, kind of a kind of risky, but you pulled it off. So, yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so when you are when you're prepping for a big event like that or WEG or um, Rolex, what 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 does that training process look like for your horses? Um, kind of on a weekly basis, and what does that look like for you? Oh, it's you know, it's it's a lot of work. Um, in the sense of, you know, we, we do a sport that has three different sports, you know, dressage, right. show jumping, cross country. And then you got to also then have them fit enough to do it all. Mm-hmm. So then you've got another component of fitness on top of that. And, um, and then on top of that, it's a bloody terrifying, terrifying, uh, ex, you know, project is, yeah. is being faced with a, a huge, huge course. And, um, you know, every day, there's just so many things, you know, it's all the little things that you got to work on. And, um, and then also not just being prepared and fit and all that, but then you got to, you've got to pull it off, you know, and, right. uh, that's a, that's a very hard thing to put into words is all of a sudden you're in that start box and you're faced with three or four miles of five foot fences and, you know, on an, on an animal and it starts pouring with rain, <laughs> you know, right. and, uh, it's uh you also need to to have a uh, a, a very good emotion um just because you know the work's one thing but then also the execution's obviously the most important and um in like in any sport one one slip or one take off stride too close or one too far away or yeah you know one you know six feet too far to the left on the track on you know like it it's not like golf or tennis where you you can recover from that shot and sure. still be in the game. Um, you know that's a wrap. And uh, so yeah. it's a. I mean, I suppose that's what I love about it, though. That's it's a great it's a great sport. It's very very exciting. And and even if you're the very very best, um, it, it, you can still come up short. So. Yeah. Um, so if you are if you were to give me. Any given week, um, you know, leading up closer to an event, um, how how often are you are they getting jumped? How often are they doing endurance? What does that kind of look like? They do some sort of conditioning every second day. So, um, I mean, they'll do a hard gallop um, probably every four or five days or six days, depending on their program. Probably jump them once a week. And then every second day they'll, you know, do a long trot or a long walk or a slow canter or a swim, as well as their dressage work or, or you know, their cross-country schooling or something like that. So pretty much the horses all do two things in one day, okay. um, be it a little bit of fitness and then their dressage work or their jumping or, you know, trying to, you know, I've got a lot into cross-training them a little bit now where you're trying to, you know, put them in the aqua tread instead of just pounding them, you know, sure. and trying to make them a strong all over their core strong and swimming them. And obviously you, you have to put the gallops in, but there's, you know, with their legs and their, that there's only so many, so many miles you can do. Right. Injuries, the, the, 
hardest thing because you've got to get them so fit for these con- competitions. But obviously, to get them really fit, is you got to you got to work them hard, work them right. pretty hard. So, yep. Um, so, so what is your now at the start of a new year? What is what is your twenty nineteen looking like? Oh, it's good. It's good. It's been. It's going to be a. I've had a bit of a transition year this year. Um, a few of my good old boys that have have gone hard for me for years and years, like um, Shamwari and Steady Eddie and Blackfoot Mystery. Uh, um, they're probably probably retiring or close to retirement. And and then I've got a group of really good young horses coming through. Um, so I think I'm finding that really exciting. I've I've got a, a couple of young horses that are showed showed some really good performance and some that I think they ooze with potential mm-hmm. um, at the the lower levels and they're going to be creeping through. So you know I'm excited about the future because I've got a couple of horses there that could could maybe be my best ever horses wow. that I've ever had. You know, and obviously there's still a a long way to go between saying that and then pulling it off. But, <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm loving it still. I'm, I'm still enjoying it. I get a kick out of the training and the process and, um, you know, I work, to be honest, I work really, really hard, you know, with not just trying to get the horses going good, but then you, you know, got to work like a maniac to pay for it all too, you know, and, right. um, I think that grinds on some people a lot, but for me, I'm I'm a little bit ADD or hyperactive or something where that um, I, I I'm still good with that, and uh, you know, as time goes on, it's um, you know I'm still still enjoying it and still get a, a real thrill out of trying to make a team or get a horse ready for a four star. So I suppose I'm lucky because you know I've been at this now for. Um, you know, 20 years and after 20 years of waking up early in the morning and it's pouring with rain and it get you know, it gets old after a while, but I'm sure. still loving it. That's awesome. Um, so what, what advice would you have to other equestrians in the industry? Um, I think you got to, advice would be, you got to figure out, you, you got to somehow if you're going to do it for a long time is you got to, it can't just be about going to the Olympics um, mm. because only four people every four years get to go to the Olympics. And if that's your one and only goal, chances are it's not going to happen. So, right. you know, trying to find a part of this sport or this industry that you love it might be teaching or it might be bringing on horses or competition and, and make sure that you, you know, you, you, you understand that, this is you, you, this is the part that you enjoy and I think the other big thing for me is you've got to also get numb to the disappointment um mm. you know one of the hardest things for me to get my mind around is is you know horses getting injured um mm. and that's just devastating and heartbreaking and crushing and the reality is it's going to keep happening again and again and again and again and um that and you just got to somehow get numb to it you know it's it's going to break your heart but you got to push on you know have a horse that gets colic and one bows a tendon and and one owner all of a sudden hates you and falls in love with another rider and they're going to take the horse <laughs> off you and you just got to yep. smile and take a deep breath and say you know what that's just the way it is and it could yeah. be worse you could be a bricklayer 
mm-hmm. and you'd be stacking bricks all day. And, uh, <laughs> that, that would get miserable and boring. So, yeah. um, you know, just accept that and be grateful and gracious if, if uh, you know, if things don't work out. You, you keep reminding yourself that it is just a sport. So. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, that's great. Well, I wish you all the best of 2019. And thank, um, you. Th- thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Very good. Good to talk to you. Thank you, Bethany. If you got something out of this episode, could you do me a favor? I would love you forever if you could take five seconds and head over to the app where you listen to this episode and rate and review the Equestrian Podcast. It's super easy to do, and it allows people like you to find the podcast, and it allows us to find some amazing new guests and create awesome content just for you. Thanks in advance. Until next time, my name is Bethany Lee. Enjoy the ride.